Well, today we come to our fourth out of five Sundays of the spiritual checkup that we've been doing. Remember we said we're going to start January, the five Sundays of January, um, just doing this spiritual self-check, kind of like looking to see if we have any check engine lights on or check our tires to make sure they're good because we're going to run hard into 2023. We're going to, we're going to ask God to give us big dreams and, and do amazing things. And we got to be in, in good spiritual condition to do that. And so we're, we're today, you know, in the fourth Sunday of our spiritual checkup. And what we've done so far without re- re- reiterating all of it is, is, is so far what we've done is we started off by, but just assuring ourselves of God's love week one, and then we are honest with ourselves about where we're really at spiritually. And hopefully, if we've seen things that don't line up with the way we think God would want to, we're starting to make adjustments in our lives. And last week, and this week, and next week, when next week will be the final week, we're going to be looking beyond where we're at right now, and we're going to be thinking about what can be in our lives as we walk with Jesus. What would God call us into? What is God inviting us into? How does God want us to grow and develop? And so, um, so uh, we, we we think about what you know what we can be as we do this. So this week, similar to last week, we are going to look at the life of Jesus again. Last week we looked at the life of Jesus as he just interacted with people. This week we're going to look at the life of Jesus, what can be in our lives. But this time, instead of looking at just the life of Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus' life as he navigated suffering. Who likes suffering? No hands up. I agree. I don't like suffering. You don't like suffering. But suffering's part of life. And we're going to look at Jesus' life as he navigated suffering. You see, if you've lived any length of time, you know that suffering is part of every day of our life in some capacity. In fact, Scripture says that suffering is just the reality of walking with us. What I love about Scripture is it's honest with us. Scripture says hard things like this. It says, and every and everyone, say everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life, that's us, right, in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Scripture also says this, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. It says things like this also, for our light and momentary troubles, we'll have troubles, are achieving for us an eternal weight, an eternal glory that is far outweighs them all. You see, suffering is just part of life. In fact, it's a lot bigger part of life than most of us want to admit. And since it's a big part of our life, it's an area that we need to learn how to navigate well, and Jesus is our best teacher. See, here's the thing. Sometimes we have things in life, but we want to pretend they don't exist. If we pretend they don't exist, they're not going to exist, we won't think about them sensibly and then learn how to, how to approach it. What we want to do is we want to be honest with ourselves, admit that suffering is part of the world, it's part of our life, it's a normal part of life, Scripture says it is, and then we want to learn how can we walk through suffering well, how can, we, how can we navigate suffering in a good way, and the best way we can do that is we look to the, to the ultimate example of how to live our lives, who is Jesus, and we say, Jesus, what can we learn from you as we go through suffering? So we want to do this week, this Sunday, and the, and the, seven days, the six days following, is to take some time to wander through the scriptures 
uh, that tell us about Jesus' suffering. And the Bible usually refers to this as, or, or history refers to, refers to this as his passion. We want to look at the passion and, and the death of Jesus. And as we watch Jesus suffer in those situations, we want to notice how he acted. But I think more importantly, we want to notice how he reacted in difficulty. Because this we know, suffering and hardship and unfair treatment cause people often to react. Maybe it always causes us to react. But some of the times how we react does not look like anything that we're going to see about how Jesus reacted in those same times. And it's good for us to notice the difference. The difference between how we react in difficulty and suffering and how Jesus reacted during difficulty and suffering. We're going to see that there's a gap between how Jesus acted and how we usually act. And it's, a, it's, it's wonderful to see that gap because that re- gap reveals where we can get better. The gap reveals where we can grow. The gap reveals opportunities for us to get better. Some of you have lived with the Lord for a long time. And you, you live your lives and we live our lives where sometimes we just kind of put our lives in park and we go, I've, I've accomplished it all. I'm kind of doing well, and I, I know a lot about the Bible, and, I, you know, and I, maybe I'm done raising my kids, and maybe I just enjoy my grandkids. But we kind of put our spiritual lives in park. But if we'll be honest and we'll look how Jesus goes through suffering, I think we're going to see this gap. And that gap is a gift. The gap shows us the opportunities that there are, exist in, right in our own lives on how we can get better, how we can become more like Jesus. So seeing this gap, seeing this difference between how Jesus reacted and suffering and how we react isn't a bad thing to be embarrassed about. Rather, it's a good thing because we can see all the opportunities God's giving us to become more like him. So today, let's take some time to wander through some of the scriptural texts that show us how Jesus walked through suffering, how we walked through injustice, and let's see what his actions and reactions were like because those are examples of what we can become like as we partner with the Holy Spirit in growing in Christ-likeness. So it's the opportunity to say, how can I get better? How can I be more like Jesus? So let's think about some of the, some of the things we find as we wander through the suffering passages about Jesus. Well, one of the things that I noticed, we're going to look at a couple of them. The first one that I, that I noticed is I was wandering through the suffering passages of Jesus, and I literally took the four Gospels, and if you're going to later look at the suffering passages, you just go to the four Gospels and turn to the end. Because <laughs> they all talk about his trial, his, his, his mock trial, his crucifixion, that they, everyone ends with that. So I went, and I went through all of those um, events in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and the first thing that I noticed when he went through suffering, was something that I wouldn't have really probably said right away was one of the top things, but I looked at it, it was all over in every, in every situation. It says that he was generally silent before his accusers. You see, we see this consistently in all the Gospels. When Jesus was being lied about, you ever been lied about? When Jesus was being falsely tried as a blasphemer, I mean, that's how serious it was. It says that he said little. He didn't say much until they forced him to speak. And in my Bible, and I just say this because it was the way I noticed it, if I open up my Bible to Matthew, chapter 20, where 26 ends and 27 begins, if I open up my Bible there and it's laying open on my table, it's exactly what happened. It was laying open on my table as I was reading through all the, all the suffering situations of Jesus in the, in the Gospels. And as I, my Bible was laid open before me, 
um, I can see in this, as I look at it, on, the, on my left side is the story of Jesus before Caiaphas, and then on my right side is the story of Jesus before Pilate. Now, your Bibles are written different, but this is how I noticed it. And as I looked at this, and I was reading, I just happened to step back and look, and I don't know about you, but I underlined in my Bible. Do you guys do that, highlight stuff and underline stuff and write notes? I do that. So I underlined in my Bible, and as I looked back, it, I noticed that, this, that the same phrase, or very similar phrase, was underlined in a bunch of different spots, just in those two pages. And these, this was underlined. Jesus kept silent. Jesus did not answer. He did not answer. And it's written, I have three things just on this one open page where it says that Jesus didn't answer as he stood before people, before Caiaphas and before Pilate. And what stands out for me is that, that when Jesus was being accused, he didn't verbally respond back unless he was forced to. In situations where people were lying about him, you know, lying about him before the authorities that held the power of his life in their hands. And that's what they kept saying. The, 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 the Roman leaders would say, don't you understand I can have you killed? And he said he, he stayed silent as they, were, as they were doing that. That Jesus didn't fight back, he didn't argue, and he didn't defend himself. He just stayed silent. Let's be honest with ourselves for a second. This is quite likely a situation where we see a big gap between how Jesus reacted and how we tend to react. Someone accuses us falsely. Somebody lies about us at work or wherever. Somebody mistreats us. And what do we usually do? Be honest. Don't be falsely, pharisaically religious. What do we normally do? We ramp up. We fight back. We go tit for tat with the person. They say this, we say that. How many of our arguments in our marriages, that's all they are? You said this, so I say that. They say that, I say this. And, it, and what does it do? Does it decelerate or accelerate? It accelerates. Come on, moms and dads raising teenage kids. It, ex, it, it accelerates, right? That's kind of normal. It's a common reaction to being mistreated, to be lied about, to be misused, is that we react and, and push back. But we see something in the sufferings of Jesus that's so unusual. He didn't do that. And whenever I see something like this where I say, how come in scriptures I see something like that doesn't make sense or doesn't seem normal to how I would think, I always ask this question, why? How come? How come Jesus, when he's, he should have said, well, wait a minute, I have all the power in the world, but he just said this, he didn't respond back so often. How come? Well, ultimately... I believe it's because he was secure in who he was. He was secure in his identity and secure in the mission that he was accomplishing. He had heard from the Father in heaven, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. So he understanding that, being secure in that, he didn't have to fight to prove he was right or to spend energy, energy managing his image Do you know how much energy we often spend in image management trying to make people think something a certain way about us? He didn't spend energy managing his image, caring about what others thought about him. He simply could rest in who he knew he was. And friends, I think this is an area we can grow in. In order to not be overly concerned with image management, 
and not be overly concerned with seeming, seemingly, seeming, if people think we're right or wrong, just fighting to prove we're right. We need to know who God says we are and learn to rest in that, to be secure in that. Think for a moment. This is something I challenge you to do this week. Spend some time thinking about this. Because remember, every week we're challenging you to spend time throughout the week thinking about what we're talking about on Sunday. Think about this. What does God, who does God say you are? In Scripture, who does he say you are? So at the top of my head, I thought, you know what? He says, he's, he calls us friends. He says we're enough. He says we're loved. He says you're his son or his daughter. He says you're redeemed. He says you're saved. He says you're a saint. That's just a big, very, I, that's just the tip of the iceberg of the things that God says about you when you're his child. We got a phrase around here that we, that we borrowed from James Bryant Smith. He says, you are one in whom Christ dwells and delights. That's who you are as a child. God, you are one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Friends, you don't need to prove yourself to others. You don't need to fight to show others that you are right and they are wrong. What matters what gives you joy and contentment. And listen, what really speaks to others, what speaks to others is when you are secure enough that you don't have to retaliate back because you know who you are in Christ. This week as you wander through the sufferings of Jesus, I hope you will notice how loudly his silence speaks. Think about that. I want you to notice how loudly his silence speaks. Think about the fact that he stood there on the cross and he was dying Remember what the, what the soldier said as Jesus did not retaliate? Remember what the soldier said about Jesus when he died? He said, surely this must be the Son of God. Why? Because in that, in that situation, he was not reviling. Like the other two people crucified on their side of him were, he wasn't. He looked different. Why? Because his silence spoke loudly. You know, take time to hear what God really has to say about you. So you can rest in that and you don't have to spend all this energy on, on image management, caring about what other people think about you. So as I was wandering through the stories of Jesus' suffering, that was the very first thing that, that jumped off the page to me. Let's look at another one. Another reaction we see from Jesus as we wander through his sufferings, remembering that his reaction is an example of what can be in our lives, is this. The second one I noticed was this. Jesus was patient with his friends. During times of suffering, Jesus was patient with his friends. And I, I can't say family because his family wasn't with him really at this point, but, um, but it would apply to family also. He was patient with his friends and family. Let's look at Mark's account of Jesus' interaction with his friends in the Garden of Gethsemane. You might notice something you hadn't noticed before in that, in that thing, because if I asked you what the Garden of Gethsemane is about, you'd say about Jesus sweating drops of blood and different things, but I want you to see how Jesus reacted to his friends in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32, it says this. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass, by, pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned, and he found the disciples asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch with me even one hour? 
Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and he prayed the, the same prayer as before. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's get going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus was in his darkest hour. He was wrestling with the Father over having to go to the cross. And look what he does. He yields to his will and he says, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And while he's in such agony, he asks his closest friends to simply stay awake and pray with him. And three times Jesus goes just a short distance away and he prays and three times he returns to find his friends asleep. I want us to notice something about Jesus. I want you to see his reaction here. He didn't get mad. He didn't yell and scream. And oftentimes in my mind, I projected that on the text. But if you read it, that's not really what it says. It seems like he may have been a bit frustrated, but he treated them with kindness and patience. And look what he says in verse 41. He says, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. Now it says period, and then it says, wait, get up. Because he says it, and what happens is after he says it, he tells them, go ahead and rest. Judas and the mob walk up. And he goes, okay, wait, sorry guys, time to get up because they're here to arrest me. But he says to them, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. At a time when he needed his friends the most, he was patient with them, even though they failed to really, we'd say this, be there for him in the moment. And again, let's ask the question, how could this be? How could Jesus act like this? Because it's not often the way we act when we feel like people haven't been there for us in our dark times. I believe it's because he understood that no one else really fully understands what another person is going through. I believe that in this moment, Jesus just understood about people that no one else really fully understands what another person is going through. And because of that, he could extend grace and patience to his friends. Verse 40 says this, He came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. You see, his friends loved him. Yet they could not really grasp the, the intensity of the situation that Jesus found himself in. So trying to stay awake all night just wasn't happening. It says their eyes were heavy. It says they didn't know what to say to Jesus when he came back. They were just sleeping because they were so tired. Jesus understood this, and he was patient with his friends. He was patient with those people that were closest to him. What a great example for us. Maybe we are walking through a very difficult situation, and our family and friends are aware of the situation Yet it's not their situation. They aren't experiencing the emotion of the situation like you're experiencing it as you're walking through it. And therefore, they may not seem to be as caring as you would like them to be. I think Jesus would say, be patient with them. Offer them grace. Try not to react with frustration and anger because like Jesus, you realize that they aren't unloving They just really don't get the depth of what you're going through. Just like you don't really get what somebody else is going through while they're going through it. So be patient with them so they can be patient with you. Friends, it's how we become a little bit more like Jesus. 
Are you seeing how by looking at Jesus' reactions in the difficult situations that we can see the example of, of what we can also be like? We see the gap and we say, God, help me to grow in your grace and your goodness. I want to become more like Jesus because, Lord, if I'm honest with myself, I don't usually react like that. Well, let's look at one more example as we wander through the stories of Jesus' times of difficulty and suffering. And this is the next thing I noticed was this. Know, know that no matter how bad it gets, God has not and will not forsake you. Know that no matter how bad it gets, God has not and will not forsake you. Let's think about Jesus' very worst, lowest point in life. He had been crucified. He was hanging on the cross in unimaginable pain. And it says darkness fell over the entire land. And the sins of mankind literally came and rested upon Jesus as he hung on the cross. And he cries out to the Father something that does not seem to fit. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At his lowest point, Jesus, the Son of God, and here's the important word, felt forsaken. He felt that his Abba Father had forsaken him. The, the, the horror of the sins of all mankind rested upon him. He's in the literally the worst moment of his life that any person could ever experience, and he felt forsaken by the Lord. He truly felt that way as he hung on the cross. Now we know from the fullness of Scripture that his Abba Father had not forsaken him. In three days, the power of God would raise him from the dead. And shortly after that, the power of God would cause him to ascend to the right hand of the Father. God had not turned his back. God had not forsaken. But in the moment, he felt forsaken. Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, in his core of his being, felt forsaken. It wasn't true, but it was how he felt. I'd imagine there have been times or will be times or maybe today is a time when that's exactly how you feel or have felt or will feel someday. You have prayed and you have believed and you have begged, but still the situation hasn't changed. The healing hasn't come. The, the answer seems impossible. The relationship is broken and you feel forsaken. What can we learn from Jesus? We can learn that even though he felt forsaken, he was not forsaken. And he could trust his Father in heaven. This is a truth that we simply need to hold on to and believe in at times when our feelings tell us what isn't true. When our feelings say something that feels true, but it's not true. Like Jesus, the difficulty eventually ends, and our Abba Father is there for us, holding us and caring for us. We see it in the life of Jesus. Remember, Jesus' life is an example for us to learn from. We see it in Jesus' life. This is something so vital for us to, re- to learn from the life of Christ. So these are some of the things that we learn from Jesus' example as we take time to wander through the stories of his difficulty and suffering. When going through difficult times, 
What do we learn? There's value in being silent before our accusers. Resting in who we are. Be patient when you're friend, with your friends um, because they don't really get what you're going through. And know that no matter how bad it gets, God has not forsaken you. Now as we wander through these various accounts of Jesus' suffering and death this week, and that's what I hope you'll do. I hope you won't just listen on Sunday and not take it with you Monday through Saturday. But as we're doing that this week, I want to encourage you to include the discipline of fasting in some capacity. And there's a reason why we waited till this week to do this. Because it fits with this week. See, fasting is simply denying yourself of something for a spiritual purpose. You can fast food, you can fast drink, you can fast um, activities. It's simply denying yourself something that you have a right to take and have and something you generally enjoy. Like, you don't fast from paying taxes. Right? That wouldn't be fasting. That would be prison sentence. Fasting is denying yourself something good for a spiritual purpose. And this week, as we focus on the suffering and death of Jesus, the purpose is to help us identify just a bit with what Jesus went through. We can't match, nor do we want to match, what it would have done like to suffer on the cross. But we can small, can you do small quotations? (laughs) We can suffer through a bit of hunger to help us experience and understand suffering better. Fasting is just a historic Christian discipline that moves us beyond our typical self-centeredness. And let's just identify a bit with what it's like to give of yourself. So maybe fast one meal a day. And use that time to wander through the stories of Jesus' sufferings and ask God to help you see what can be in your life. What other things is God going to point out for you? Because I've just given these three as examples of what the Lord spoke to me as I wandered through the, as wandered through the stories. But God wants to show other things to you. Maybe fast for a few days or the whole week, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fast for the week. And ask God to help you see... Um, See how you can fight against, how you tend in your life to fight against difficulty and suffering and how in that I just try to avoid it with everything and how I react when it happens. So I'm putting myself in a spot where, I, where, where, where it's, I'm chafing a little bit. Putting myself in a spot where it's uncomfortable and see how do I react in that. Or maybe fast by only meeting, eating very basic foods. There's things like Daniel fast where you basically just eat vegetables. Cutting those things out of your diet that you love for a period of time. You know, sugar and coffee and chips. You know when I fast, what the hardest thing to fast from is? Coffee. It is. The rest of it, I just ignore it. But I want my coffee. It's how I start my day. And I drink decaf. It's not even for the jolt. It's that I enjoy coffee. I know some of you go, then why would you drink it? But I just like that, that warm cup of coffee, and I have it with me almost all day. And we usually fast in the winter, our, one, our week of fasting, and I'm always cold, you know? And so it warms me up. But I, I fast it. Some of you are going to stop drinking, eating sugar for the week, and you're going to have a splitting headache 24 hours later. It's a revelation. That's why I started drinking decaf coffee because every year when I fast, and I fast you know, periods of time throughout the year, if I stop drinking coffee, I'd have a splitting headache and I'd go, okay, I don't want to be addicted to anything. 
my body was addicted to it. So you know what? Some of you go, I'm not going to fast because I have a bad headache. I think God wants you to have a bad headache to show you that there's things you're depending on that he would say you shouldn't depend on. So you can fast by just eating a very basic diet and cutting out those things you love like coffee and sugar and chips and ask yourself if you use those things, here's a key, you use those things to satisfy you in ways that maybe God wants to satisfy you. That you have a substitute for something that's so much better. But you can't experience the better because you're settling for the less. Fasting reveals that stuff. Why doesn't the worship team come up this morning? So this week I'd, incorpor- I'd encourage you to incorporate some type of fasting into your schedule. Just incorporate it. And remember, Jesus is really, really clear about fasting. He says when you fast, it's a personal thing between you and God. And he says you don't mind making a big deal about it. You don't tell everybody about it. He says if you did, if you do, he says, okay, you got your reward. Everybody says, cool, man, you're really religious. That's not what we want. Not that you can't, that your, you know, your family's got to know because you're not eating dinner or whatever. And so, but it's, you know, it's not to get attention. This is just a, this week in particular is to, to let us experience some, some, and it's not even bad, but some discomfort, some suffering, small quotation suffering, um, so that we can, we can see what, what can we learn about suffering as we walk through this week. So I'd encourage you to incorporate some type of fasting into your schedule this week. I think you'll find that it will really, um, you will really learn some things about yourself that you wouldn't in other ways. You just wouldn't, you wouldn't learn it in other ways. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us to learn about ourselves as we look at how you went through suffering this week. Help us to learn about ourselves. Lord, help us not to lie to ourselves. Help us to be honest with where we're really at. Because, Lord, we know that you don't point out where we're at to somehow condemn us. You show us where we're at to show the gap between where we are and where you're, what you're inviting us to. We know you're inviting us to lives where we look like you, we act like you, we think like you, we react like you not like the world around us. And Lord, so we need your help. Our society is, is giving us ways of looking and thinking and acting that, that it says are right and good, but as we wander through the texts and we see how you have been and how you are, we recognize it's a lot different than the world around us. And Jesus, we see you hanging on that cross and that soldier standing at your feet, and and you acted even so much different in the worst imaginable suffering that he said, surely this must be the Son of God. God, what could be in our lives as we yield to you and we learn some of these things and we grow in Christ-likeness that our friends and our family would say, Remind me of Jesus. And that would somehow draw them to you. So Lord, that's what we surrender to this week. We ask you just to work in our hearts and our lives. 
Help us to see ourselves. And Lord, for some, they maybe have never practiced fasting at all in any way. Just denying something. Lord, help all of us to be able to do something so we can just open up our hearts to hearing your voice in a little different way. And I ask you for this gift, Father. Would you speak to us loudly? Would you speak to us loudly? Help us to hear what you're saying. Help us to have eyes to see what you're revealing. And then give us the boldness to to trust you enough that we just say yes to whatever you're inviting us into. Church, let's stand together this morning. I encourage you just to spend a few minutes asking the Lord how you could use this opportunity this week to see yourselves more clearly so that you can then grow in your love and your walk with the Lord.